DMs. Have you ever felt like banishing a player to the Astral Sea for insisting your rule interpretation was bogus? Players, have you ever felt frustrated that a 19 on a perception check only tells you that there may or may not be something there? Paladins, tired of everyone constantly standing in your space because they want to stay in your auras? Then this is the podcast for you. Where we take a hard look at the rules of the game, the reality of the table, and the role of the dice to solve D&D's most heated arguments. This is Raw and Order. Dun dun! Welcome back! <laughs> How are you already cracking up? <laughs> I know you... <laughs> Hi, everyone. It's the long pause I take before I talk, right? Well, I'm it's like not just the long pause. Up. It's not the long pause, but you made a face like, like you just like held this yeah. ridiculous face. So the, the pause plus, everyone knows pause plus face equals Equals laughter. giggles. Yep. Yeah. Well, hi, everyone. Hello. Hello. We're, hello. we're clearly just having a great time here today, right out of the gate. Oh, my God. Listen, so much D&D happening, so many things happening, all the things. We've already played for four hours today. We played for four (laughs) hours today. I'm planning for our session tomorrow, uh, which I'm jamming for Gaidra 2. On Monday, Tyler starting his campaign. We're having session zero. Oh, my gosh. Tuesday, I'm playing. Wednesday, I'm not playing because you'll be busy. Yes, that's on me. Well, well, I didn't want to. <laughs> but we usually play thanks, Wednesdays. Thanks, so. Anna. Thanks for ruining my Wednesday. Thanks for giving you a friggin' break. It's true. To I need concentrate I need on you. Get some you time. Some me time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, what's going on in the world? What's what's happening? What's what's the what? What's going on in the world? Oh, do we really want to? This no, is supposed to be a happy episode. Okay. We're happy going into this, and I don't want to talk about the state of the world, which is constantly even more depressing than the day before (laughs) fucking awful so um (sighs) i'm super okay so tyler's is uh, we've had tyler on for listeners he's a player in my gudra too i sort of pushed him over the edge and getting him into D &D, and now he's (laughs) like he's like super dm man he's dming a bunch of shit um and I'm so excited for his campaign because i'm playing a spores druid i think i mentioned this last episode yes so I'm going to try out this new build. It's it's basically like a high wisdom, high constitution. And the the and then I think I'm going to take the tough feat, which basically gives you like an extra two hit points per level in addition. Um, uh, and w- w- and also when you use your wild shape as a spore druid, you can instead like go into this like fungal form and you uh you do an extra D6 necrotic damage per hit. You can use your necrotic shroud ability, um, uh, uh, which is like when someone comes within 10 feet, you can do damage as a reaction. You can use that and do twice as much damage. And you get four temporary hit points per druid level. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, which means at 20th level, you're getting 80 temporary hit points. And as a 20th level druid... I love how you druid, immediately think about what it's going to look like <laughs> 20th I've 100% <laughs> never played a level 20 character, but I'm immediately like, okay, level 20. What will it look like but, at the end of this? <laughs> and and he's letting me enter that on a, as a bonus action, um, which is super generous because normally it's an action. That's very but nice. But think about that. Think about how overpowered that is. If if theoretically you were a level 20 druid, every turn you could just give yourself 80 temporary hit points. Yes. <laughs> 
because you get unlimited wild shapes. <laughs> it's insane. Um, and at level, I think I mentioned this last episode at level 14, you just can't be critically hit by mm-hmm. anything. Any spell, any attack, you just can't be critically Untouchable. hit. Untouchable. Mmm, I got spores. Someone, <laughs> so, Someone's got fungus. Oh. You're untouchable because you have spores. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. That adds up. <laughs> it's the first time I'll be th- I'll be excited to have fungus. <laughs> I was not excited the previous the last few times. few times that you yeah. had fungus. We won't we won't mention those, but um <laughs> no, I'm really I'm really excited also I'm playing like I, I don't want to say too much. Uh, well, who the fuck is? I mean, I, I'm I'm playing an Asimar, a fallen Asimar, which has the necrotic shroud thing with the oh, wings, yes, like the 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 decayed. Like the decayed wings, yes. And I get resistance to necrotic and radiant damage, so I'm playing like Damn. I was the. I know it's crazy. So I was playing. I, I'm playing it like it with his backgrounds that I was uh, like the follower of some goddess in the outer planes. Basically, like I was born in heaven by 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 uh, a. a a person who like mated with a celestial and that's how I as an SMR was born. But then like something happened and I fell from grace. And as a result, they like pulled my wings out and left these two like necrotic holes basically in my back and, and infected me with spores because this goddess is also like the goddess of the hunt in the forest. So, um, yeah, so that's how I'm going to play this angle. Incredible backstory. Like what a cool way. Of I fucking describing all of this. I fucking leaned in because we're yeah, playing in in the Forgotten Realm, so like D and D official lore, and this just like this whole lore stuff with the goddess just happened to line up exactly with when we're starting the game, like the year that we're starting the game mm-hmm. in. I had to read so much fucking shit. I'm <laughs> listen. I'm so glad that I just do homebrew because oh my god there's no way sticking to all of this and it's insane how do how do people how do people (laughs) remember this shit it's fucking nuts so i'm super excited yeah i i am excited to hear about this on this show and maybe have tyler come on and talk to us about this because and you have have zero planned on yeah uh... on this monday so actually the day this the day this drops this episode drops. Drops. Yes. Um, I'm very excited about tomorrow as well. So your yesterday listeners, mm-hmm. but our tomorrow. Um, we've got Gaidra 2 in the books. And we I think have like reached the point where we're about to hit the road and get into some battles, maybe, because maybe. I am itching to use <laughs> my warlock stuff. I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm so excited. For you to use that stuff. Yeah. I, oh gosh. I honestly, I took it because I love the like dark backstory that we're going to go down. And then the Hexblade curse was so cool. Yeah. And getting to do Eldritch Blast. But there's actually so much more with oh, just a level one in this. I was, it's insane. <laughs> after it's I took insane. it and we like built my character sheet and you sent it all to me and I was like picking all my choices. I was like, there is so much I'm going to be able to do. It's yeah. going to be insane. It's nuts. And then you, and two more, if you take two more mm-hmm. levels, you have two replenishing health, uh, two re- replenishing spell slots at second level. You have your packed boon. Mm-hmm. You have your hex blade stuff. You have uh, two Eldridge invocations, which are just like permanent boons. I mean, if you guys are thinking of a class that you want to dip into and you have a high charisma, Warlock is an amazing choice. Yes. So I'm super excited for to see what happens. Oh, yeah. This is going to be amazing. Well, we had a really wonderful session this morning. 
We did. It was super fun. We got to bring I, back Icewind Dale. We haven't played that in two months, maybe? A while. Yeah. It, was, it yeah. had been a while. Because one of our players had a baby. A baby. It was me. I had a baby. <laughs> yep. And that's it. Yep. That's I gave that. birth. <laughs> But um, we are fighting some Duragar and oh my, so many Duragar, so all the Duragar. <laughs> yeah, I we're at that because I multi-class. We're third level, and because I multi-classed as a wizard cleric, I don't have any second level. I have second level spell slots, but I don't have any second level spells. Mm. And it's just like I don't have any AOE damage. I can't do anything to help the party. <laughs> and all of like all of my stuff is necrotic damage, and it's like. Oh, this is Icewind Dale. A lot of stuff is immune or resistant to that. And I'm like, fuck. So I'm just making bonfires everywhere and casting <laughs> magic missile. I feel like we've all been been very helpful. I feel like as a rogue, when I hit, I'm I'm very useful. I have sneak attack, and that always adds like a great oh. little bonus. Are you you and, just but, crit? You crit today for like 49 damage at 39. third level. 39. I accidentally said damage. 49, but it was 39 because everybody was like, Anna, do that math again. And you're like, you're right. I should do that math again because Anna's terrible at math. <laughs> Once again, I love it. Just busting down stereotypes left and right. Anna. Heck yeah. That's why I love you so much. <laughs> oh, dear. But yeah, it was so great to get back in. I mean, I am playing in so many games, but at the same time, I'm just like so excited to be playing. So it's fun. I mean, if you love what you're doing and you love playing and you love DMing, then why not do it every day? Right. Exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. I should do this every day. You should do this every day. I'm quitting my job. <laughs> it's official. I'm leaving. I'm going to take my law. I'm going to take my law degree and my, my, my license certificate. And I'm going to go to the Supreme court and I'm going to, I'm going to the Iowa Supreme court. And mm -hmm. I'm going to roll, not the, cause the U S does too far. Mm -hmm. I don't drive care that about far. Us. They don't care. No. <laughs> um, I, and I'm going to, I'm going to mash it into a little ball and just like, Put, and roll it in water and then freeze it so it makes like a nice little mm -hmm. softball. And then I'm going to go, hey. And I'm just going to chuck it at the door and, <laughs> and be like, I'm done. I feel like for Christmas this year, I'm going to create an exact replica of both your degree and your <laughs> uh, your license, except make it for D&D &D and raw school. Like you're going to have graduated <laughs> from raw school. <laughs> And be Please. licensed in the Supreme Court of D and D. So I see. I was excited you have because your credentials I, for this podcast. <laughs> I thought that you were going to say that you were going to make it, but it was going to be like a cookie or a cake, and I was like, "Oh, Anna's going to bake something." But I could I bake mean, you a cake and design no, don't. it. As, you can't. As you're as forbidden because because you can only bring stuff. I'm officially you're on probation. What? You can only you can only bake me or bring me things if you're bringing it to a session of D and D because otherwise. <laughs> Anna, I will literally, I'm like a goldfish. I will just grow to the size of the interior of my house if I just keep eating all of the amazing goodies that you make. You are on no so. such probation, and I cannot wait for my box of goodies this Christmas. So, yes, okay. I loved them so much last year when you make cookies and oh. breads. Oh, oh, my gosh. I don't know if we I'm talked excited. about it on this on this podcast because I don't know if we were recording back then. We but, weren't. No. But Joe is phenomenal. No, I'm Amen. not. Yes, oh, you please. Are. You're you're such a better baker than I am. Anyway, okay, let's not. This is just going to be just a fucking compliment. circle jerk yeah. mm -hmm. of compliments. <laughs> <laughs> speaking of compliments, I spent a lot of time last episode talking I about how, how, how speaking I. Speaking of circle jerks. <laughs> oh, God, no. <laughs> My 
my mom is listening. Oh, once again. You're right. You're right. Once she knows again. all of it. <laughs> no, but speaking of compliments, I was saying mm-hmm. that last episode, I spent a lot of time uh, complimenting my two DMs, especially Clinton, how I, Clint and how I have been so appreciative of the way that he's mm. been running the games. And now we get to talk to him today. So Yeah, yay. Clint is back. <laughs> All right, should we get to it? Let's do it. Okay. Oye, oye, oye. The Honorable Chief Justices Joanna and Associate Justice Clint of the Supreme Court of DND. All persons having business before this court are admonished to draw near, give their attention, and congratulate Pete Buttigieg and his husband on their twin babies, for the court is now sitting. Welcome, Clint! Yeah, hey, Clint. Hey. Welcome back. It's good to see you, long time no see. It's not like we were chatting for four hours earlier today. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it more like I was trying to kill you both for, mm-hmm, for four mm-hmm, hours. Mm-hmm. Um, unsuccessfully. In real life. And actually, yeah. both of our characters, very smartly... We just kind of hide, hide behind things. Yeah, yeah. that is the that's often the next build. to each other. So. Yeah, when you're when you're a wizard, you just fucking run. Like, oh, I'm a wizard in a hallway, and there's uh, we have a fighter up ahead. Great, he can fight. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna fucking get out it. of the way. So, and when you're a rogue, so yeah. you just try to remain invisible as much as possible. So, so mission accomplished. My rule with that is like that's an effective standard strategy, which means that twenty percent of the time it has to backfire terribly. Um, <laughs> So make sure that you look behind you every once in a while. Yeah, it's called having creatures that can be invisible, actually. And yeah, then literally. they just pop up behind me. <laughs> Giving Clint terrible ideas and a dixit, everybody. <laughs> and me, and me. So thank you. Uh, yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, the court will hear one case today. Are we ready to jump in? Yeah. In re undead telepathy. Most undead know and understand at least one language, one that they knew from their former life, but can't speak. If a character had telepathy and could speak to an undead telepathically, could the undead respond? Joe, where did this question come from? Yes, this question was not really submitted. I sort of stole it from my friend Shad. Hi, Shad. Um, so uh, we are, he, he's playing a, um, a necromancy wizard in Tyler's campaign that I mentioned. Um, that's we're having our session on Monday. And um, he had this question because, and now once he asked it, I was like, wait a minute. It, it, will this happen? Because if so, Inky is also a necromancy wizard. Mm-hmm. When he gets animate dead, which he gets automatically as part of his subclass, I'm, I want to talk to my undead friends all the time. All the time. <laughs> so, and so I just want Clint to have to do a bunch of like zombie voices and stuff. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, and the more I start to think about it, it's like yeah, like all of the five E stop blocks basically say they know the, the languages they knew in their past life, but they can't speak. Mm-hmm. But does that mean that they that they can't communicate telepathically? Um, and I think specifically he wanted to know if basically they could be used as like familiars, like because you, you can summon several undead. So just right. like have a little army of undead and have them all go out and do different things and come back um, and run like your errands for you. you. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, why, actually, why don't we start with Clint? What do you what, what are your thoughts? So so when you say telepathy, um, there are a number of spells. Uh, in the standard 5e kit and a feat now um, mm-hmm. with Tasha's Cauldron that are telepathy. And each one of them is written slightly different. 
Um, so when you're talking about telepathy, I think it depends on one, the spell you're using or whether or not you're utilizing the new feat. Um, mm -hmm. So if you bring up uh, the feat uh, from Tasha's Cauldron Everything Telepathic, uh, the pertinent component is you can speak telepathically to any creature you can see within 60 feet of you. Uh, your telepathic utterances are in a language you know, and the creature understands you only if it knows that language. Now, this is the limitation of the feat. Your communication doesn't give the creature the ability to respond to you telepathically. Mm -hmm. So I think the answer for the feat is pretty straightforward. You, you can go ahead and you can shoot your, your mind rays um, out through the ether. Um, a creature that understands the language you are communicating in will understand that if it has an appropriate intelligence score. And that's the other half that we can get to. Uh, but, you know, it, it can't respond. Um, but if you're looking at a few other things, so for example, telepathic But that's bond. for any creature regardless of dead or undead status yep. mm -hmm. or yeah. live status, right? Yes. Yeah. So now when we get to, let's say, telepathic bond, uh, the fifth level spell, or telepathy, um, <clears throat> the eighth level spell. So in those, I think when you read the, when you read the description, I'm reading telepathy, the eighth level uh, wizard spell right now. Until mm -hmm. the spell ends, you and the target can instantaneously share words, images, sounds, and other sensory measures with one another through the link. And the target recognizes you as the creature it communicates with. Um, so I think if you're using that 8th level spell, as long as you know, it, it understands a language, and even if it doesn't understand a language, you, know, you can communicate ideas, images, things like that, you, you do have the capacity to communicate with this undead being. The, hmm. the hook in that particular one, and this is the other part of the consideration I think you've got to make as far as undead telepathy is, the intelligent score of the creature matters. Uh, for telepathy, uh, in the actual spell, it specifies it's got to have an intelligence score of one, right? Or higher. So you can't talk to an ooze, right? Like if you're looking at, um, I know that there are certain undead that are oozes, um, which is particularly awful. Um, in that case, I don't think it would work, but as far as just the raw as written, you've got a telepathy spell, can communicate to any creature, so it's not just a player, um, uh, and it has an intelligence score, so if you know the language, the spells, the words of the spell correctly work, and the creature has an appropriate intelligence score, I think it, it can communicate with you. The question then becomes, will it communicate with you? Ooh. Yeah, because there are a number of classic D&D &D monsters that have higher than average intelligence scores. Uh, so, for example, wargs or bankhursts, things like that, that it's just like a big giant wolf, but it has an intelligence score of five, right? Um, they are specifically, I think at least in a number of the editions, they know goblin, like they know the language, right? But they almost universally won't communicate with you because your food. Um, and I think, yeah. It's, I talk to my food all the time. I don't know what uh, you're talking sure, about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, I think it, it comes down to, you know, the particulars of the spell. But the does the food talk back, Joe? Yeah, that's the, that I think is the important part here, because the food sometimes, talks back. Sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes. Um, yeah. So it's, it's uh, what the spell says, whether or not the creature is willing, what its intelligence score is, and if it has anything it wants mm. to say to you. Mm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, Anna? Uh, okay, so I, it's interesting that you focused on the language of the actual telepathy to figure out which spells and which feats were going to be able to allow you to do this. In my mind, one of my characters has telepathy. So the soul knife, the one that we played this morning, 
has the ability of psychic whispers and it says it doesn't require a minimum intelligence score. It can communicate with anything that it sees that understands at least one language. It doesn't have to be the same language languages that I speak and it can talk back and forth. So I, it's not just me saying things to it, 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 the, they can respond to me as well. So this is like the ideal, literally talk to anybody telepathically if you want to. And so this is what I had in mind when I was going into this, trying to think about whether undead could communicate with you. And what I focused on was, are they immune to psychic damage? Because I think that, and this kind of goes into your level of intelligence for the creatures, because my thinking was, in order to respond to you, it must have some level of psyche, right? Like, and so some level of actual thought, Um, because if it is without thought entirely, then it it wouldn't be able to understand you telepathically because it has no thoughts. Mm. But then I'm like, if it understands even one language, then it must have some level of intelligence or some level of understanding, which means unless it is completely immune to psychic damage, I can communicate with it telepathically. And that was kind of my thinking going into this. So I was just... um Side note, I was like scrolling through undead creatures and I came across crawling apocalypse as a creature. And now both Joe and I are really excited about this creature because it looks awesome. So, <laughs> but it is one that has a, a relatively low intelligence, understands the language it knew in life, but can't speak. Mm-hmm. And it isn't immune to psychic damage or anything like that. While it has other immunities, like it is unable to be charmed. Mm-hmm. Um. But I think I could communicate with this thing telepathically if I wanted to. And it has a higher intelligence than most undead. It has a six, not a three. So that suggests like, oh, like that's even, even better. Yeah. I mean, I, I would, I would think that as long as the actual, as long as the actual language of the skill that you are utilizing, you know, if it lays out those parameters, right. It has to be able to speak a language. Um, Recite to me again what the specific criteria are. It has to be able to speak the same language. And then what were the other things? Oh, for your soul knife thing? Yeah, for the soul knife. Oh, um, yeah, it doesn't need a minimum intelligence and it can answer back to you. It has the ability that you can go back and forth with it. And so the, the... The skill specifically states that it does not require a minimum, that there is no intelligence minimum. Right. So... And I think that that's interesting. I think at this point, we have to start borrowing from the jurisprudence of speak with plants, <laughs> um, wherein the quality of the response becomes pertinent. Uh, oh, yeah. So, so, for example, if you are communicating with something that has an intelligence of one, uh, even if it knew a language in its prior life. So you're looking at some zombie with his head smashed in, right? It knows common. So you would be able to communicate with it um, as long as it as long as it has that that additional mm-hmm. statement that says it knows all languages that new in life, uh, you would meet all of the criteria for the utilization of that soul knife skill. However, I don't know if you're going to get anything more complex than <laughs> Well, it was a very interesting uh, phrase that you said was that you could communicate like a thought or an image or like an idea, mm-hmm. which is how I would 
I would kind of anticipate communicating with these like really low intelligence creatures that I can still telepathically communicate with. I would not be giving it complicated instructions or having some sort of deep conversation with this thing. My best would be to like pantomime in my head, move out of my way, you know, like mm -hmm. something like that. So, sure. so you yeah. wouldn't be, you wouldn't be asking like complex, uh, shotgun questions uh with risk rewards to a squirrel um <laughs> as as some of my characters have done yes um no i think that that makes sense yeah absolutely my concern and what i would wonder as a dm is if you are repeatedly making contact with undead creatures and communicating them with them telepathically does the soul knife feature allow them to speak back if you don't want them to as long as the connection is still open i can terminate <laughs> the connection whenever i want time. and mm -hmm. actually i think so they so can they yeah. so that goes to your last point that i hadn't even thought of of like uh do they want to even talk to you because as soon as i start that connection they can be like get the hell out and right. end yeah. the connection. Yeah, i mean they can leave all your dms on red you know like they don't <laughs> actually have to do i have anything. a really interesting twist to this though well okay, okay. so to yeah. clarify one thing so um i'm looking at the psychic whispers ability now i don't think it says anything about about any intelligence score whatsoever. Right. So it's, um, it's silent so presumably, on that, like the need right. for it. Yeah. Um, so here's something. Now, in a spell like Animate Dead, it specifically says that for 24 hours, the creatures follow your commands. So you could command it to either respond to you or to stop communicating with me until I tell you to. So you would be able to theoretically control that aspect of it. Um, I think I agree with you, Clint, that based on their intelligence to, to sort of like role play this truthfully, um, you, you really wouldn't get much more than like, yes, no. Okay. But like, it's weird that this creature understands the full extent of the language it knew when it was alive to say that you fully understand and comprehend a language with, a, with an intelligence of three is suggests that like maybe there's a little bit more leeway there i don't think that there's i i was looking at this while you guys were talking i don't think there's a hard and fast rule that you need a three to be able to speak i think three is just if you were to like do the the lowest possible uh way to do ability scores which would be roll three d6s the lowest you could possibly get is a three mm. um so i i don't know that there's a technically a rule that says you need a three, but here's an interesting twist. There are magic items that can inflate ability scores. And specifically, there's a circlet of whatever or a crown of whatever that can raise your intelligence to a 19. So oh I'm my God. so I'm and and theoretically, an undead is is a creature, right? So presumably can attune to an item. Could could an undead creature attune to this like circlet of intelligence? And then you could just keep constantly casting anime dead because you cast it and it lasts for 24 hours and you have to keep casting it once a day to maintain control. Could you have this like, well, I do declare that's what I was talking to you telepathically, but it's just like, Ugh, why do the higher in intelligence creatures always have British accents? What's I happening don't know. there? <laughs> so, so yeah, that is a, that's a, that's an ingrained prejudice that we've imported from British exactly, Islands, 100%. right? Uh, Cause you know, like Scots and Irish people are, are lesser, right? Uh, it's, it's the evil hierarchy of the British Empire, right? 
and the internal misogyny. Damn but colonists. It is. I mean, yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, 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 so, Joe, a couple points, all right? Okay. Um, yeah. First thing, I think that that goes to the idea that you know a language, and that's like a flat ability that you have. Um, interfacing with the intelligence score goes to the mm -hmm. the basic imprecision of ability scores, right? Sure. And I mean, we, this is an argument that has existed in developmental psychology for an extended period of time. Um, it is a little bit beyond the the expanse of this <laughs> oh, podcast. But the point is, I love it. I'm I here love for when it. Clint comes on this show. <laughs> you can know a language, right? And there can be degrees of proficiency in that language. Sure. Right. Yeah. Like someone can be markedly more prolix than another person. Um, which means to speak too fucking much, right? Yeah, I'm very uh, pro licks. Yeah, okay. I <laughs> walked into that kinds. one. That you did 100%. Yes. 100%. But anyways, so yeah, a zombie could know common, right? But their common is maybe going to be a cluster of maybe like two, 300 words. Whereas if you put a, a cichlet, a circlet of, of the expanse of intelligence upon them, right? Yeah, you would see that sort of sudden bump up. But then at that point, Joe, and this is my other point, mm -hmm. is... Are you not straying into the trope of the intelligent servant, right? Like, what becomes your ethical <laughs> responsibilities to this thing that you have made sentient and whose existence is entirely dependent on you continuing to invest magical energy, right? Like, what's going to stop it from going like Hal, uh, Hal 9000 on you, <laughs> right? Well, and be like, you, no, but my continued use... existence requires... Right. Yeah. I mean, theoretically, though, they're under the command of the spell, so they can't... They can't, I mean, you know, a DM mm -hmm. could do whatever, but like. Robots are supposed to be under our command too. You right. Know? Yeah, Joe, well, you're, you're, you're doing some like pre-steep punk listen. robot shit here. <laughs> listen, like, robots and magic, two totally different worlds. But okay. Going back to that language thing, I have a real life example. I speak, I obviously speak English and then I have my mother tongue, which is a language that we speak in India uh, called mm -hmm. Marathi. But then all of our Bollywood films are filmed in a language called Hindi. And I understand Hindi, like, almost fluently. You, if you speak Hindi to me, I will almost certainly know what you are saying. But I cannot speak Hindi. Like, I cannot respond to you in Hindi because I have to, like, th sit and think there for, like, five minutes sure. about how to formulate the sentence and what order that grammar goes into. Even though, A, it is pretty similar to Marathi, and B, I literally understand everything you say to me in Hindi, but I cannot figure out how to, like, talk mm. in Hindi. So yeah. this this is a thing. It happens. So I, I can see that happening with undead creatures. Yeah, sure. There are there are different parts of the brain that are specifically responsible for receptive and expressive language. Um, and uh, again, my real question is, if the right side of this creature's brain is smashed in, both of those areas are destroyed. So, like, yeah, I, it's magic. It's, it's magic, fucking though, undead. Yeah. It's literally dead and came back to life. It's yeah. a zombie, so. Mm -hmm. right. so... So, yeah, no, I mean, I think, I think that um, as far as your soul knife feature, I would, the most interesting part of that, I think, is the... That it specifically states that the intelligence score doesn't matter. Or it's silent. No, it, on it, that. It, it's silent, silent on that. Right. Okay. All right. Uh oh. Uh oh, guys. Okay. So now we've got some sort of we got some statutory interpretation stuff. We've got to go here. Is that an intentional silence? Right. Um, yes. Yeah. Is, are, we, are we looking at a interpretation of a statute as written? Excuse me. A rule as written that when we read it as it is written, it leads to a a patently absurd result. Um, in which case, you know, we, we have to start looking at, is this actually what the drafters intended? Surely they couldn't have meant that you could communicate <laughs> with a ooze that literally cannally think based on its ability score. Does an well, ooze have a language? Well, it doesn't, 
need if to though pursuant to yeah if no it, it does a... it needs to speak at least one language oh, it doesn't oh, need to be the same, the language, same language that i speak right so right. so let's say that you've got an undead ooze right um so well an undead ooze though wouldn't know a language because it would only if it, it was would, a ooze yeah. that died no 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 no, 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 no. language so are we talking about do squirrels speak a language like could i communicate with a squirrel because it speaks squirrel language I, so that that is how speak with animals works, which is different than your skill or than the skill that we're talking about. Right. But specifically what I'm talking about is you can there are creatures uh, that are undead uh, that are just like bl- a blood ooze. Right. It is an undead that is the product of a wood chippered person, basically. Sure, right. Just yeah. Super awful stuff. But it's undead. If it has that tagline, if it understands the languages, you know, it's going to have a zero intelligence, but it is undead. So it understands a language, but it has a zero intelligence, right? And that's that's that edge case that we are completely going to use to destroy your ability. Well, it can't uh, have a yeah. zero intelligence, right? Because it would be dead. Yeah. It, it has to have at least a one. And I think the lowest, I, I, I admittedly, I don't know all the creatures and, and mm-hmm. the, you know, the stat blocks, but I think three is the baseline pretty much for any creature. Yeah. Um, so... I mean, yeah, I I don't know. I I don't think it's absurd to read that soul knife ability to suggest that, yeah, you could communicate with an undead, but I think that your limitation and the logic behind what it could communicate is is correct. I think mm-hmm. if you had an intelligence of three, um, you wouldn't be able to say much. But again, this uh I'm looking at the headband of intellect. That's that circle that I mentioned. Um, it does require attunement, but who's to say that? You know, creatures can't non PCs can't attune to things. Of course they can. It just says your intelligence score is 19 while you wear this headband. It has no effect if your intelligence score is 19 or higher without it. No other limitations. So what's stopping me from giving that to an undead, having him attune or her or it attuned to it. um, And then us sitting down and having a really great telepathic conversation over a cup of tea. I mean, (laughs) it's been lovely, darling. Your leg is falling off, but you look absolutely dashing. Mm -hmm. Your rot is ravishing. So, so if that happens, I'm I'm going to do, I would go like full Shelley's Frankenstein on you, right? Where he's like, (laughs) why have you made me? (laughs) I'm a monster. Uh-huh. Yeah. I can't wait for that. I cannot wait listen, for that. <laughs> listen, come hell or high water. I don't know if that's the right phrase to use. Mm-hmm. Inky, Inky is going to telepathically communicate with an undead at some point. You just have to prepare for that mentally, Clint, okay? <laughs> yeah. And it's going to be cute and adorable, and it's going to be fun. It's going to be cute and adorable, okay. and then I'm going to also join the conversation <laughs> without telling you, and then the three of us are just going to be chatting. <laughs> okay, yeah. We're going to be vibing. Okay, all right. So and I, I I think that that you know the the NPCs uh, I think that leads into one of our discussion topics uh, pretty naturally. Wait wait hold uh, on I'm not done got, I'm not done unless you've got berating you with examples. Okay oh okay okay. So what about an even less detailed spell? Take a look at the message cantrip. Mm. It has no requirements okay. for language whatsoever. It just says. You point your finger toward a creature within range and whisper a message. Undead is a creature. The target, and only the target, hears the message and can reply in a whisper that only... Oh, no, never mind. That yeah, has to speak. So it's, oh, it's not telepathic. Okay. Yeah, and, and so it, it just says gotcha. that it would hear... Yeah, it would just hear the Let noise. Let me berate you with examples. This is a terrible example. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. 
but it would yeah. still hear the message. It would. Yes. It, it, it would. It would hear yeah. the noise if it understands the language. That noise would mean something. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it doesn't, and if you, it was a, if it was a spell like animate dead, which they have to obey your commands, presumably you could command. So it we to, are, yeah. arguably we all agree. Yes, you could if if they were under your th- enthrall and you. Uh, uh, if the conditions uh, are right, yes, right. you can telepathically communicate with the undead. I think each of us have a slightly different variation of what those conditions are, right. but I think we can yeah. generally agree. Yes, you yeah. can telepathically communicate with the undead. I will be Are you the... looking around for your gavel? I am. I yeah. can't find it, so we're just gonna have to. Okay. Well, Clint, do you agree with that assessment? Yeah, I will. I will go ahead and be the uh, be the guy who writes the forty page hyper technical <laughs> concurrence, concurrence <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. That is like mm-hmm. according to the very specific interpretation. <laughs> yes, the majority is right, but I don't like them on a right. personal mm-hmm. level. Yeah, I like you guys, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's, listen. That's my but. I mean, come on, DMs out there. How much fun would it be to just to have your wizard yes. or whatever or just have like a friend who's undead who just hangs out with the party like a just skeleton? Just like chills with them, yes. You, know, you can call me Captain Bones. And just like you suddenly have a friend named... Okay. Now there's our transition to our discussion topic. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, well, so we all agree so. the court is unanimous. Yes. Yeah, gavel, so. gavel. Let's hop into our chamber chat. Yeah. Okay, so our first discussion topic, as we've just raised, is memorable NPCs. Clint, you brought us this topic. What is this topic about? Please elaborate. Sure, yeah. (laughs) Probably should have asked you this before we started (laughs) recording the episode. (laughs) Nah. So so one of the things that uh, I think uh, drives D&D is is either the memorable combats that that you have, like the where you, you know, where you as a, a dwarven paladin just like dropped almost uh, triple digits, right? You're going to remember that for a while, right? When you left through Yeah, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> the other really interesting thing that like drives, uh, you know, the memories that you're going to get out of D&D are the characters that you interact with along the way that you find really motivating. And, are Kevins and shit druids. Hell oh yes. Oh my God. Uh-huh, and that's the thing. So for me, I think they fall into three separate categories. Um, so there are, you know, the... Um, there's the tagalongs, right? So like your your companions or your associates or your hirelings or underlings, the people that follow the party around um, that aren't party members uh, that provide uh, like support or resources or information. There are the big bad guys, right? Like the arch overarching nemesis of the story, the one that you get to know so that you can hate them. And then finally, there are the incidental and accidental NPCs, uh, the ones that are just kind of out there in the world that your characters or your players just like grab onto for some reason um, mm-hmm. and they become important to those people. And I think that those are the like the three categories of the NPCs that are really memorable that drive a lot of really interesting encounters. What I want to ask both of you is, and I maybe should have clarified this beforehand because <laughs> I'm oh, in, God. I'm in the later. Gaidra campaign because Joe is running yes. two campaigns. I am in the one that comes. It's like afterwards. Star Wars prequels. You guys started first, but Anna's group is technic is newer, but technically further back in time. Yeah, so we're in the good ones, um, <laughs> and you guys are stuck with the Phantom Menace. And uh, <laughs> yeah, all right, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, fair but, enough. Fair so, enough. So what I yeah. want to ask is: so in none of the campaigns that I'm currently running, have you guys encountered? the big bad yet. Um, but I know Ooh. that in Gaidra 2, which is the earlier one, um, mm-hmm. 
there is an evil emperor that yes. you are on your way to slay. And I want to know as much about him as I can. That sounds Ooh. like a really interesting bad guy. You're um, not allowed. You're I not know, allowed. I know. That's the thing. <laughs> We can, we can, I, I can share information that Anna would know and Anna can share obviously whatever she knows, sure, but sure, right. Yeah. Cause I wrote a history book, obviously mm. after I defeated the emperor eventually. Oh, and yeah. Uh, yeah. that's what you studied in assuming, school. That's what assuming you I know, live. assuming I survived. I'll tell you what, let's do this. Let's do this. Uh, I'm going to go ahead. Let me pull up Fadir's sheet. I'm going to roll a history check. <laughs> And then you guys can tell me within the bounds of that. Well, importantly, the okay, you start your history check and then I'll explain to you why this may or may not be successful. Oh, shit, guys. I got a natural one. <laughs> okay. Wow. Fadir's like, we had an emperor? <laughs> He's from a different continent, I guess. I'm yeah. on a pla- Well, okay. So, um, interestingly, so Fadir, okay, this might not be super interesting for our listeners, but you may get just a glimpse into the world that both Clint and Anna are playing and that I created at two different, completely different times in history that I've since narrowly brought together. You guys were originally 1300 years apart. And I said, that's way too far. Now, Um, how far apart are we? um, Between two and 300 years. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Not crazy far apart. Um, So theoretically, some of us could still be alive. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Technically. so, uh, Yurikin still kicking around. Yurikin, he's already no, 600 he's, years old. He's dying soon. <laughs> uh, uh, but so here's what I'll say you know that, um, both of you know, there's this period of time called the conflagration, which was this crazy, uh, crazy, such a dumb adjective. I don't know why I ever referred to it as crazy. It was this period of t- tumultuousness between magic users and, and, non-magic users as far as you would know for dear um which we're in that's our time period yep so that's the name of your campaign technically is the conflagrated and you all are are in this period of great burning essentially where historical texts texts magical documents um um were have been destroyed libraries have been completely like decimated um uh, people have been uh, uh, humanoids that have been created through uh, or sorry, humanoids that resemble animals. So like tabaxi and, and things, as well as humanoids with innate magical abilities like elves and gnomes um, uh, are essentially secondary second class citizens and are in some cases actively hunted, enslaved, yada, yada, yada. And I know it's problematic. Listen, guys. I created this world long before I got into why this is all problematic in D&D specifically. So just know that we're fighting against this shit. Okay. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, this emperor is um, the primary emperor who is the driving force behind this uh, separation uh, of created uh, right. classes. And, exactly. Yeah. Um, but honestly, you guys, in neither campaign do you know too much more about the conflagration than that and um yeah you guys are just living through it it's this 40 ish year long uh worldwide sort of struggle um but they haven't met the emperor yet you guys actually just met the emperor's like uh son illegitimate son right Uh, i don't want to say illegitimate but the emperor's son who interestingly enough is a half elf mm-hmm. um despite the fact that now the emperor is presumably um well is actively like killing 
specifically elves. Uh, I mean, my made up father in in the yeah. campaign is the same way, right? He was human who and I'm a half elf. So yeah, and he is actively fighting with the emperor. He's on the emperor's side. So right. it's all very exciting. So, so Joe, I want to ask conceptually, right? So that we don't have to go into the details, but I think it's important when you're looking at as a DM, the bad guy, the great big bad guy is the character. I think that you have the greatest amount of influence on making you yourself, right? Um, you're the bad guy will be shaped over time by the players and their actions. But when you mm-hmm. sit down to a campaign, you're like, who's the antagonist? what's their deal? What are their decisions? What's their dry point, right? When you sat down to make the emperor, did you have, did you have like a set of conflicts in mind? Did you have a a thought process of, I'm looking at my group. This is the most evil thing I can construct for them. Or was it more of a, here's an interesting story. This is an antagonist that makes that story work. How, what was your decision-making process when you sat down to make the emperor? Yeah, did your villain create our encounters, or did our encounters create your villain? Oh, no, that's a fantastic this. question. Um, interesting. So first of all, um, it's interesting that you assume the emperor is necessarily the BBEG. Oh no! Uh, oh, the double blind. <laughs> well, got you. I won't reveal anything now, of course, and 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 of course, like as any good DM does, you evolve the story as you play, so things could change. But um, I fully told the players already, like you will reach the capital city and probably confront the emperor. Who knows? But before you reach level eight, and this campaign is set to go into level twenty, so there's a lot more stuff that's mm-hmm. going to happen that I have planned. What I will say specifically when it comes to those types of characters that I am, am creating, I, I want to make it something that the players naturally have not just the, the characters, but the players have some vested interest in conquering. Um, and that's going to be true for Gaijer One as well. I mean, you guys, your your campaign's a little more nebulous because there's a lot of unknowns. Um, but uh, for Gaijer Two, um, I want like you guys were in in session one dragooned into 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 signing on to yeah. murdering this assassinating this emperor without knowing pretty much anything except that I told you that all of you know of this emperor and know that he's a bad dude. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I specifically wanted, wanted that to be there, but I created that story, this, this plan and, and what this emperor was doing and how this empire was, was, was tearing the world apart and sundering the use of magic and, 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 creating different classes of citizens um so i knew the kind of person that this emperor had to be and and it's interesting because you guys won't you haven't met him yet right like but we already prob- hate him you well, probably I, I think- won't meet him until until pretty close to confronting him whatever that looks like well and i think that that's that's a that's a really good use of the bad guy villain component is that you know the story beats that drive that that make that npc like 
something you're going to remember, uh, a lot of them are going to be, you know, the buildup. It's classic narrative tropes, right? It's the, you know, oh, we, we found, we, we saw individual instances of discrimination, right? Or we saw the pillaged caravan, or we encountered these tiny little things. And, and each one of those, right, here's a bit of, of my bad guy. Here is a cameo of, of his intent. Here is, you know, a, a prelude of what things will be like. And I think that that's a fantastic breadcrumb technique that you're, you're using, Joe. Um, that's exactly, I feel like you've exactly described what's happening in that campaign because we come across individuals that have interacted with the emperor. We meet, you know, his son and ask him to give us all the information he possibly can that will help us defeat the emperor. Like, oh, what are his weakness? Who does he keep close to him? You know, describe him to us in great detail. And so now we have this like, idea this paint painted image in our minds about what this emperor is going to be like based on us speaking to his enemies because that is who is willing to sit down and talk to us obviously um and and i think that you have described exactly what this is like we have these breadcrumbs along the way describing what we right now believe to be our big bad Mm -hmm. um and we haven't met him but we already have this like picture of him um, and what he's going to be like to fight. So I think you've described that perfectly. Well, and then it sounds like one of the other techniques that you're using, Joe, is painting in the negative, right? Where you you show who is fighting against them, right? Like, who opposes the bad guy? What are their characteristics, right? And then when you take a look at them, you're like, ah, oh, these are the oppositions. This is the, this is the opposite of what we're going to be looking at, right? Um, when we get to them. And so you can, you can create this character in a lot of multifaceted ways that it sounds like you're utilizing where, you know, there's the breadcrumbs, there's, Mm -hmm. ah, these are the traits that, that infuriate them the most, right? This is what a rebel against this particular bad guy looks like. Um, and I think those are all really useful techniques. Well, and what makes it, what makes it, what complicates it even more, however, is that there is actually a third faction in this worldwide war. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm not going to give you too much information about it because it's interesting that you, you've asked this question and you're here because your character, specifically Fadir, out of anyone in, in either of the two campaigns, has the closest ties potentially to... to what that third faction is. Um, and I won't say much more, Anna knows, but a little bit, a little bit. But if you, and this will be a little breadcrumb for you to ponder, if you ever dive deeper into the lore behind that item that you received recently, there's a lot there. Um, there's a lot of clues there uh, that could potentially inform Fadir's own the history of his own people and the land that he comes from, um, because that is an integral part of the story. And it's funny because it's like it hasn't happened. Like it's happened in Fadir's world, but it hasn't happened in Anna's. So I can't tell so you cool. too much because I just don't know. I mean, it's cool, but also stupid on my part. But um, it's I know things that will happen one way or another. Um, it's just how they happen. So, yeah, it's, it's just it's very interesting. Uh, I will say like one thing that Anna, your your group, you don't delve as much into the history of things as Gaijer one. Gaijer one, you guys, you guys will go to libraries, like look through books, like and make me do my fucking work. And I love it. But you've learned a lot about the world and you can you will continue to learn about the world. Um, 
and uh, it's not as prevalent in Gaijur 2, which I think does make sense to some extent because there really are I feel are like no we are the history. Exactly. <laughs> We're making <right>. the history. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, so so I will I'll, I will go ahead. We will close up the big bad uh, discussion because I don't want I don't want you to like accidentally say something and then like two days later be like oh shit I lost that story beat someone's gonna find out yeah I do have um, a question about this though you're yeah. we're actively creating the history that you're telling your Gaidra One campaign how do you explain it then if you don't know what we're gonna do they they haven't asked about it yet that's ah. the, that's the thing <laughs> is that. Well, so the whole history being no one really truly, unless they were alive during that time and and actively, actively, um, you know, wrote about what was happening at the time, a lot of the history predating your camp, Kadra 2, um, has been destroyed. Right. And, and really in both campaigns, what really ties the two together is what happened before. Um, so... Uh, both of you, I think, all come from this place of there's more history here, but we just don't have access to it necessarily. So, yeah, it's it's I'm I'm being very careful as a DM. This was not the <laughs> smartest idea, but I really wanted to run this campaign. And um, yeah, I think what what whatever happens will happen. Yeah. So, I mean, like I said, I'll, I'll go back off of that. I, I find I find that the, the big bad guy is really an interesting NPC trope, because uh, as I've said, in the two campaigns that I am currently running actively, um, I, I, you guys, neither party has identified them that you are both actually close. Um, mm. But uh, so you know, and I'm, I'm still, you know, gr you know, I'm still manufacturing that that base, and I, I think that's interesting. Um, interestingly, both of mine are, both of my campaigns are happening in Faerun, so they are they are coterminous; mm. they are occurring at the same time. So I've got some of that same problem that you've got, Joe. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and you know, like the tin cups, they're spread out everywhere. So, um, <laughs> like you guys run into them. Um, but so the other, the other, so that's the, that's the big bad guys. But then there are the other two NPC classes that, you know, I think I've got in, in spades in my campaign, um, that, uh, that I think are interesting and also potentially problems. And I, I, you know, Joe and Anna, I want to talk to you about them. So let's talk about Talon and Kite. Um, I love cause, them because here's so. Why for, don't you for, introduce us? Yeah, yeah, who are Talon and Kite? So for the listeners, uh, Talon and Kite are two cardinal sins a, a DM should never commit, which is they are they are they are GM NPCs. I like they are they are basically members of the party that I as the DM control. Um, and the incredible risk that comes with that is that if you are not mature about it then, you know, you're going to, you know, railroad the shit out of the party or your guys are going to be the superheroes or, you know, you're basically taking the fun parts for the players and then making them for yourself. And it's an incredible risk. And and there are some advantages to having these two. So Kite and Talon, they are these halflings that our, our adventuring party gathered with them when they set off into this great waste desert. Ostensibly, the halflings are supposed to be guides. Um, they're not necessarily great at that. No, nope. but, but <laughs> most they, of the time they're like, "Now what?" Yeah. I'm like, "You so, kill us." <laughs> so, so like my my uh, what I my my purpose of them. I sat down and I thought about these guys a lot because you guys also almost took an elderly couple into a desert, <laughs> um, and that would have been a wildly different experience for you all. Um, but I sat down and I thought about Talon and Kite uh, because what I wanted to be able to do with them is I know that you guys are a high RP group. 
and it's important for you to have NPCs to interact with. And so what I want to do is basically take NPCs with you into the desert so you would have characters to interact with, to develop stories with. Um, and so I, I kind of had to walk this tightrope where I would make some interesting characters that had certain connections. Uh, so, for example, Talon, one of the halflings, has a strong connection with one of Anna's uh, players. And is in fact, was a route that I used to deliver a boon to Anna's yeah. player to allow them yeah. to use a specific and, skill. And my character just... Uh... Fuck the other one. Yeah, this is in just like a serious relationship with the other one, right? So who knows what actually (laughs) happened there? But what I wanted to ask is, so so I use Talon and Kite. They are a toolkit that I have packed in. They allow me to bring NPC interactions to you guys uh, in the middle of nowhere, and they allow me to go ahead and provide information and exposition when needed, uh, things like that. What I wanted to know is, what are your guys' experience? with Talon and Kite, with these mm. these companion NPCs, right? Do you feel like they overshadow things? What are the risks that are involved with them? What are the rewards with having game master controlled NPCs that just run around with the party? Anna, what do you think? I'll tell you that I I think the goal you had set with introducing these two, which was to have NPC interactions for your players in a wasteland where it was uncommon to run into people, right, where we're going and what we're doing, was a fantastic idea. It was a fantastic tool to use. Jin's relationship with Talon is like one of my favorite things about this portion of the adventure. Not just because he helps give me cutting words, but <laughs> but because I um I feel like Jin is all about like showmanship and performance. And uh he does that less with his with his like PC party mates because they know him, right? And they're not like look turning to him looking for a performance unless it's for inspiration. Um but with Kite and Talon it was like Jin could Jin could use all of those muscles that would otherwise have gone to waste in a wasteland. <laughs> so and yeah. So 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 what you're telling me is that like, you know, talent, he provides you with that kind of sounding board that you would otherwise be denied. Yes. Okay. Yes, absolutely. And and I I think that I understand where you have your concerns about are they overshadowing or anything like that. I don't have those concerns about those two. I think they've been just a wonderful addition to the party for this particular adventure. And um, the interactions that all of our party members have had with them have just been like so amusing to witness that it's been nice having that outside interaction coming into our party. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think I, I think you kind of had to do something like that, right? Because yeah. so for those listening, like we're playing in Faerun, right? So we're in Anorak, I think is the desert technically. Like it's an enormous wasteland, right? So and in, the, and in your version of Faerun, like it, it's like you said, we're not going to run into these NPCs normally. So I, I think logically, like we wouldn't have gone into this desert alone, Right. We needed someone to bring us there. And I think you've done a great job of of keeping them engaged and like having them participate in combat just enough to be helpful, but not overshadow us. Right. right? Because I think that's, you know, that's the ultimate balance. Right. I think. And and even like some of the best 
campaigns that that are out there that you can watch like online and stuff they have those characters too and they're characters that don't necessarily only exist in the in the space of uh like a desert i think that um i'm thinking of like dimension 20 and you have like some of the uh uh ricky matsui's steed from uh, season one of uh, unsleeping city was a summon steed uh, uh, creature and really became like part of the party that the DM would would voice, um, and I, I think that there are there are ways to do it where yes, absolutely, you run the risk of like overshadowing the party, but I don't feel at all that that's what was happened here. No. That being said, I am ready to be rid of Talon and Kite's constant nickel and diming because I have to deal <laughs> with it in two campaigns. Thank you, client, and. Uh, I think once we're out of that, out of that desert, Umber will be happy to say goodbye and find, I don't know, a hunky Goliath and water deep to bang. But, um, uh, but for the time, I feel like being, I'm going to be really sad when I leave Talon. I mean, so, they can yeah. visit. So, so there are, there are a few things, you know, one, um, I think one of our, our fellow players in that game came up with the most brilliant analogy for how to handle your, your, like tag along NPCs is that they're Hawkeye in the Avengers, right? Like they're in the back shot, like, yes. you know, fighting some of the le- other The occasional minions, one-liner right? that you're like, what? Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. And, and then, you know, they just like, they tie down one monster for four turns. Right. And then that, why did he dead. survive Thanos's hand click? Right. Like, come on. Yeah. I don't know. And then he like, he went all like blade runner ninja and stuff. It's weird, but yeah. Uh, so, so that's, that's one thing. I think that, you know, uh, Cliff, you know, that was probably the most brilliant, that was the most brilliant framing device for how to approach those kind of characters uh, as a DM is that they are the sideshow in combat. And if you keep them there, they're going to do great. Uh, the other thing is, Anna, I do want to push on you as far as Talon. So Talon at one point had a traumatic experience um, in our process, and his personality has changed because even my side NPCs have character irks, guys. Um, and I, I think, you know... That might be like there's a there's a change that has occurred um, in his character and behavior. And, you know, there's there's something there for Jin in the relationship that he has with Kite um, that might add another dimension. Um, and the the other final bit is and I always have to be cautious because Phil is another one of our players in our game and he has a very he's very steeped in D&D lore. Mm-hmm. I think he's going to figure out what these two are actually up to before. Uh, oh. yeah uh-huh. so I always have to worry about that but um, so so that leaves just that, that one remaining class of, of NPCs which are just the random ones your players grab onto mm-hmm. and won't let go of like Xanax the wizard I still oh remember God. him Joe yeah am, am I to assume then that UDMs never build these random one off NPCs thinking my party is going to love this guy or my no. party is going to remember this guy forever. If you do that, it's the one where they're like, oh, yeah, three lines. We're done. Let's what move else? on. Right. <laughs> um, but uh, like we, uh, you know, Anna, Joe and a few of other players from our Icewind Dale game just had an entire prequel adventure about Trovis, who is uh, who's one like stock character from a mm-hmm. tiny village. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, and in our telling, you know, he he is like a, a a veteran with some serious PTSD who right. yeah. like yeah. gave the understandably flower of his, so yeah yeah <laughs> gave the we have the flower of his youth to defend Icewind Dale and is kind of like you know dealing with the scars of that and that all spilled out because when we were playing 
Trovis fell asleep in a in a <laughs> pile of snow, woke up, walked over, reached around another pile of snow, pulled out a wine bottle, and like just just went to town and and, and one of our players, Logan, was like, I love this guy. And I'm mm-hmm. like, this guy is now important. <laughs> right? And that's how that happened, right? Like him, mm-hmm. I you know, the, the Emporium that I have set up for you guys that is just an NPC distributor. Oh my God. I don't know why you guys latched onto Kevin, but Kevin... Because <laughs> he was hilarious. What I do you loved mean? him. <laughs> so, so for everybody else, Kevin... So there's a, a the Yawning Portal game. Uh, you know, the basic setup of Waterdeep is the Yawning Portals. This tavern's built over this old wizard tower, the dungeon that constantly replenishes itself with bad guys. At some point, some wizard went down there, just wrecked shit. Uh, grabbed a bunch of stuff, took it out, and didn't want to bother to sell it, so they made this magical building that captures the first person that walks into it and forces them to be the person that sells stuff. Um, and so every time my players come back, someone has killed that guy and gotten captured and replaced. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the latest time, it was a lizard man, um, whose name, I believe, is <laughs> but Anna's character, you know, used tongues. And so it's, well, hello, my name is Kevin. I was wondering if you would like to purchase some of these wonderful items in order to free me. Um, but Kevin pulled one over on you guys, actually. Um, he did. You don't know it, but he did. That motherfucker, I knew it. And, uh, <laughs> yep. And, and let me tell you, and, and this is another one of those things, Joe, when you were talking about how it's like, I know these things and I have these plans, but I can't tell people. Yeah. Man, that's so hard because Kevin's going to wreck shit. And it's going to be great. Yes! I oh, yeah. I'm so glad he's coming back. Oh, honestly. Uh-huh. Well, maybe we can enlist the shit druids to help us. Oh, yeah. Dorian yes. drinks out. Totally remember that. For some reasons. <laughs> yep. Just that's another one that got yeah. seared in my mind because, uh, you know, another one of our players, like, you know his his pet beetle died, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and and so it was like a, it was an important moment. We well, didn't you know, die, like, right? He he just like he was he was ailing, and we needed to yeah. help him. Yeah. yeah, and and you know like that was a flashpoint. I'm like, okay, these players are gonna remember this guy. I am gonna remember this guy. He is important now, and that's one of those like player driven things where these NPCs become important not because you ever wanted them to, mm-hmm. right? Um, but because they're important to the players. And I think that you know. I, like I said, and sometimes it's just the dumbest reason, right? Like, (laughs) well, I remember, I remember specifically in Gaidra one, when you guys set out on your trip, you you stopped in the small village of Irondin and, um, there was a halfling, um, uh, uh, Millie, um, uh, and, uh, she was the proprietor of an inn and Cliff just like, was like, I'm totally gonna like bang her. She's going to be my girlfriend. (laughs) And... (laughs) hilariously like you guys did he totally forgot and like did not go search for uh millie's family while you were in briarleaf which is where she's from but uh like i i she ended up becoming like this great part of like that whole scene and it was just like yeah like sometimes you just create those memorable npcs for for no reason other than your players really like them yeah no i am i'm still hoping in gaidra one that it's his actual name is Zeralax. Is that correct, Zala- Joe? Zalaxis. I, you know what, Xanax? That motherfucker <laughs> is going to show up and like cast <laughs> calm emotions on everybody at you know an eighty milligram level. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah, I did that. <laughs> yeah, give me uh-huh. lots of ideas. Um, yeah, that's hilarious. And hey, I mean, he was a very powerful wizard. Uh, and uh things yeah i mean you you don't know who knows yeah no and i i think that's one of the really 
that's one of the most improvisational parts of of D&D, right? Is that mm-hmm. you get to plan your big bad, but your players can change that thing over time no matter what, right? You get to go ahead and insert these NPCs into a party, but that party is going to change those NPCs, right? Like, Talon is not the same NPC as he was when he started. Kite mm-hmm. is not the same NPC. Probably has an STI, actually. Um, Excuse! <laughs> I'm sorry, Excuse I was a mean dick. But, Who's but, he been and, sleeping with other than Umbra? Because she don't have no STI. That's true, you're in the middle of a <laughs> desert. Uh, you know, and then also like those other random NPCs, those are, I think, the greatest distillation of the improvisational nature mm-hmm. of D&D, right? Because it's literally somebody off the street and they become important. And in yeah. a lot of ways, life functions that way, right? Yeah. And, and so, you never know who's going to be important to you. Yeah, You just right? don't. And so I, I, I wanted to go ahead. I want to touch base, Joe, since you actually have built a big bet. I wanted to talk to you about what your process was for that, right? And because as any DM knows, everybody has had NPCs that have just like appeared at them, right? And, you know, I want to know how you, you know, how you feel to that. And Anna, you've interacted with all three. And so your perspective as a player is actually pretty important. So I, I thought this was an important conversation. Yeah. And I, I think that, you know, like, we kind of we drilled down into some of the more really interesting parts of it. So I, I think that's great. It's yeah. a wonderful conversation. Yes. Well, as always, Clint, you've graced us with your presence, your knowledge, your beauty. I I was so privileged. Um, thank you for being mm-hmm. on. I hope that you'll join us. You know, yes, I think I think you will join us again, possibly maybe on Raw School when we when we talk about druids. Oh wow, yeah. Ooh. I mean, to be honest with you, the druid that I play is barely a druid right we'll get into it we'll get into it he he's like he's like a he's like a fourth level druid with three levels of a prestige class and venture capitalist like (laughs) he is the best (laughs) and my best you mean what um okay but thank you so so much (laughs) for coming on today and i am sure we'll have you on again we had another uh, discussion topic that we don't have time for today, but mm, yeah. that we'll definitely have you back on to talk about. Okay, fantastic, guys. Thanks, everyone. See you next time. back oh nope you have to do your thing you have to record your paladins thing (laughs) i was like what